Welcome to Back on the Grind, a podcast about life, music, people, and the stories that bring us closer. We certainly had a lot of amazing stories so far this year, and we hope they're bringing you closer to the bands and musicians that you love, and to myself and my co-host. And from all the feedback we've gotten, we've certainly been doing that. All you folks listening out there, I just want to say thank you. You've been super supportive, and you let us know how important this podcast is for you all. People mentioned how they come to rely on it and can't wait till we put out the next episode. I'm glad we could show up for you. And that's all very fitting with this episode, which is about loneliness. But before we get into that, I want to share some updates and information. I just got a message from Spotify notifying me that this podcast ranked as one of the top podcasts in a country. They didn't say what country, but they did say we ranked number 16. That's pretty awesome. I'd like to rank 16 in some unknown country. I'm pretty sure I can say we're also probably the number one folk punk podcast in the entire world. Though, I think we're the only folk punk podcast in the world at this point. There was the Folk Punk Pod by Hudson Fuller, but he hasn't done anything in a while. Hopefully he does. But thank you all for checking out the podcast, leaving the great ratings and reviews, and the messages we received have been wonderful. When I originally thought about starting this podcast, I thought I could do it alone, but that wasn't the case. I had to reach out to my co-host, Will, aka Folk Punk Dad, and ask him for help. He joined me, and he's taught me a ton. Thank you, Will. We are very dedicated to doing this podcast, but we can definitely use another helping hand or two. If you're interested in helping out, we can use a hand with some social media stuff, and some logistical stuff on the back end of the podcast, you can reach out, send an email to podcast at backinthegrindrecords.com. It's in the show notes as well. If you're willing to help out, it would have to be on a volunteer basis. It costs me about $50 a month to present this podcast to you folks. On that note, if you want to help out and offset some of those costs, we do have a Patreon. You can get exclusive content and additional episodes. We'll send you some free merch, patches. We have right now, we're going to get some stickers and other goods to send out to our Patreon listeners. You can access that at patreon.com slash backonthegrind. Another thing I wanted to mention, if you're listening on Spotify, please be sure to check out episode 15 about Johnny Hobo and the Freight Trains. In the show notes, we had a poll that you could take. And that poll will be running until January 1st of 2024. The poll asks if Johnny Hope on the Freight Trains had a good or bad influence overall as a whole. There's multiple responses that you can pick. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, I'm sure you already know my story. I've been to prison and I'm a big fan of Carl Jung. When preparing for this episode, I shared with Folk Punk Dad a quote from Carl Jung. He really liked the quote, and he said we should definitely talk about it in the episode. But as things got going, we completely forgot to bring it up. It's a quote that I always appreciated when I read it, but I never fully understood it until I was sitting in a federal prison. Being in there, surrounded by so many people, and feeling so alone, I was able to look back on that quote, and it finally made complete sense to me. So I'm sharing the quote here in the intro. Loneliness does not come from having no people about one. 
but from being unable to communicate the things that seem important to oneself or from holding certain views which others find inadmissible. Hopefully this episode will help you feel a little less lonely as we bring you closer to myself, Pepe Bandit, and my co-host, Folk Punk Dad. Hey Pepe, how are you doing today? I'm good, Will. How are you? Doing well, thank you. So we're approaching the holidays. Uh, I know you had made a comment that it would be a good time to do this episode, which is loneliness. Why was loneliness a topic that you felt was important to discuss on the podcast? Loneliness is an ever-increasing problem. It's been on the rise since the 1950s, and it's been declared an epidemic. It was declared an epidemic last year in the United States, and the World Health Organization recently cited it as a global problem. So it's something that is really significant and affects a lot of people. It also has health issues that come along with it. Chronic loneliness is apparently equally bad for your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And it can really cause not just emotional issues, but also physical issues. And I think that alleviating loneliness is one of the most important things we can work on doing as a community, as a society. And contrary to stereotypes, it's not the elderly who are reported as having the highest rates of loneliness, even though it is a factor in that generation. But Gen Z reports the highest rates of loneliness. This is obviously a problem that is affecting younger generations to an extreme as well. And so I thought talking about it on this podcast might hopefully help some people at the very least not to feel as alone if they are feeling lonely, knowing that it's it's normal, it shouldn't be stigmatized, and um, it's sadly really, really common. So you just talked a bunch about how it plays out in the larger culture, in a larger society. Has loneliness been something that you experienced as well? Yeah, definitely. I think the two times in my life that I felt the most lonely were when I was a kid and I moved in the middle of fifth grade. Um, I went to this small school where everybody knew each other into this huge school where I didn't know anybody. And I just remember feeling so alone and so desperate for friends. And it was really painful. I remember coming home the first day of school crying. And when I really felt alone is when I was in college and I was an active alcoholic, really consumed by addiction. And that was a very lonely and isolating experience. I can relate to some of those experiences. Definitely when I was younger, I had some experiences in school where I felt very lonely. And over the years, I've done a lot of work. I think that has been helpful with dealing with loneliness. And I'm happy to say that I still get bouts of loneliness, but it doesn't affect me like it used to. But I think it might be useful if we can come up with a definition of loneliness for our listeners. I had some thoughts on this, and I know you did as well. Would you want to share what, what came to mind for you? It can be hard to define because loneliness is so varied. There are so many different types. There's an organization that listed a 100 different types of loneliness. 
it can also be categorized into psychological loneliness, feeling like you're missing someone or something in your life, or societal loneliness, feeling excluded from a group, or existential loneliness, feeling disconnected from a higher purpose or a higher power. But I like to think of loneliness like similar to hunger or thirst. I think it's a biological response to signal the brain that something isn't right. Just like we need water, we need food, we need shelter, we also need community to survive. And I think loneliness is that signal that says, hey, you're not connected in the ways that you need to be. What I'm hearing you say is it's a gap between the connections you need and the social connections that you have in the moment. Is that correct? Yeah, I think that's correct. And I think perception has a lot to do with it too. Some people might have expectations for different kinds or forms of connections that maybe they think they need, but maybe even those expectations, even if they were met, maybe wouldn't fulfill the actual needs. So I think there can be some confusion around Mm. what the actual needs are too. Yeah, I think it can be subjective because perhaps Mm -hmm. what I need to not feel loneliness might be a small number of people and perhaps maybe someone else might need a large number of people to connect to. So it's a very subjective uh, experience, it seems. Yeah, absolutely. Loneliness is so personal, and people experience it in so many different ways, all of them valid. Pepe, I'm wondering if you would share a time you've felt lonely in your life. I might have a guess as to when it could have been. Yeah, I, I think you're probably referring to my time in prison. When I was in prison... I became rather curious about loneliness and I did spend a good amount of time kind of trying to research it in a sense of like being aware of what the men around me were experiencing. And I, I came to some really interesting conclusions and understandings, but I'll actually share something that's more immediate for me. We discussed doing this episode and I thought, well, I don't struggle with loneliness. Like you said, you know, the prison thing while I'm out of prison. But when I really sat down and thought about it, there's actually a uh, area of my life where I feel quite lonely right now. It was kind of surprising for me to sit with that and acknowledge it. Um, it doesn't concern me too much because, you know, I liked what you said earlier about thinking about like food or needing water. When you're thirsty, you know you can have water and then your desire for thirst is going to pass. And I've done a lot of work with loneliness. So this area of loneliness in my in my life right now, I understand it's temporary and it's going to pass, but uh, I'm starting the coffee company. And honestly, it's quite a lonely experience. I don't know anyone else right now who I'm close with who's starting a business, you know, let alone starting a coffee company. And there's times where I'm having an experience with this where I really don't feel like I have anyone I can turn to who is going to understand what it's like for me and what I'm going through in the moment. So that's an experience of loneliness that I'm dealing with currently. That makes perfect sense. I'll have to tell you later, Pepe, about some resources that I came across recently for entrepreneurs in New Haven. So maybe you could get connected with some of those folks. I thought it would make sense to seek out some other people who are having a similar experience. So I would definitely appreciate that. Mm -hmm. So you had mentioned uh, several areas or ways that loneliness can manifest or present and it's really similar to something that I 
came across when I was in prison. And researchers had identified three areas of loneliness that these particular types of relationships, if any one of these three is missing, we can feel lonely. The first is intimate or emotional loneliness. And that's the longing for a close companion or an intimate partner. Uh, this is someone who you can share like a deep and mutual bond and affection and trust. The second was relational and social loneliness. And this is basically the yearning for quality friendships. And the third was collective loneliness. And this was a desire to be part of a network or a community of people who share your interest and your sense of purpose. I just wanted to point out something because I have a very strong connection to my wife, Lee. We have a great relationship. I have a strong connection to my children. I'm very grateful as a father how open my connection with my kids are. I have the relational social area. Like I have a lot of friends that I'm very close with. I have a lot of close friendships. And then as far as the collective, uh, I, you know, I definitely have a connection to like this folk punk community, which has been super supportive to me. And yet I still feel lonely in this other area. A couple things I want to make clear here, because I've seen this play out in prison. Guys in prison would often expect more from their partners on the outside. Right, which is understandable in some cases, and, and it's also understandable, or at least to want more is understandable. But often what I noticed was they had a strong connection to their partner on the outside, and they made some strong friendships in prison, but they were lacking that collective connection. So sometimes in our lives, we might be feeling lonely because one of those three dimensions is missing, and then... We might tend to think that maybe in those other two that are there, that those people aren't providing for us. And that's actually might not be the case. And the other side of that is our friends or our partners might think, well, you're feeling lonely. Is there something wrong with our relationship? And that's not necessarily true because you can have an amazing relationship with your partner and you can have an amazing connection to a larger community. But if you have no close friends, you're still going to feel lonely no matter how good those other relationships are. Yeah, I think that's right on and a really good point. And I, I think that it's it's so common in our society too for there to be an expectation that your significant other should be able to meet and provide all your needs just on their own. Where in reality, like we are diverse people with diverse needs and we should never rely solely on one person to meet all of those needs. It's not fair to anyone in that situation. It's hard though, because one of the things feeling lonely in general, you know, you talked about building this kind of collective of people intentionally getting together. A lot of times though, when you feel lonely, you don't want to do that stuff. So it's like this self-fulfilling mm. prophecy at times. And it's really hard to push yourself to get there. Yeah, that's totally on point. I read a study because I've been researching loneliness this fall. And there was a study where they did brain scans for people who don't feel lonely and people who 
felt chronically lonely. And the brain scans of the people who felt chronically lonely were significantly different from those who weren't lonely, but those scans were also different from the other people who felt lonely. So what they basically said was that the chronically lonely folks were processing the world in a different way than the people around them, whether those other people felt lonely or not. It really can have a really big effect, perception and understanding of the world, understanding of your place in it, and just how you process things. If someone's feeling lonely or, or not lonely. You know, this relates to some stuff that I was learning about when I was locked up. And loneliness, from what I was understanding and, and researching back then, was they were basically saying it's a stress state that humans evolved over hundreds of thousands of years because we relied on safety in numbers back in the day. You know, it was a way to share food if we stayed in a group. It was a way to ensure we had protection from the environment and things that might be around us. So when we were separated from the group, we felt our safety decrease because our chances of survival dropped. So when that happens, the body feels as if there's an increase of threat and it enters into a stress state. So we become more alert. We're, we're constantly viewing our surroundings for predators, being ready to run or to retreat at any sign of a dangerous situation. And in the short term, this is a very helpful way to, to approach a situation. But when it's chronic, you know, that stress leads to, to so much negative health effects for a human. It's the reason why chronic loneliness leads to like an increased risk of dementia, premature death, heart disease, anxiety, depression, sleep disorders. There's all these things connected to it. But kind of tying back to like this ironic part of loneliness is that when we feel lonely, you know, we start to hide further and further into our shells and then we get lonelier. And the irony of that is that at the times we should be reaching out the most, we retreat further and further. Like I said, this ties back to the biological reason. It made sense in a time if we were separated from our tribe, you would want to do that. But we don't live in that type of environment anymore. But our biological system, our nervous system still responds the same way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If someone's lonely, I've read studies that were saying too that they perceive the people around them as a greater potential threat than someone who is not lonely. And if you're perceiving someone as a threat, it's going to be harder to build relationships. Yeah, that's exactly right. I've come across the same research, actually. I was thinking about something when I was in prison. I would often talk to the guys in there. And, you know, the three years I was there, no one ever said they were lonely. No one said the word ever. And I thought it was interesting. And, you know, you mentioned this in the past that there is a lot of stigma around loneliness. I think mm -hmm. that's, you know, there's a lot of shame associated with loneliness. I think that's part of the reason why the guys in there, um, you know, they weren't using the term. And I can get into things they were saying in a minute, but I'm just curious, why do you think there is like some stigma or shame around loneliness? I think that has a lot to do with societal expectations of if you're successful in life, you have a host of friends, you have a partner, you have 
community. Uh, we've equated success with a lot of things, including money, but also with status and power and the relationships that you have. So I think when people are lonely and they don't want to admit to it, they might see it as a sort of failure. And I wonder if that has something to do with the stigma around it. Yeah, there's there's often this idea that if we're feeling lonely, perhaps we're not likable or something about us is broken. I'm not saying that's true, but people often think that and it's hard for people. Um, and that's the stigma. They don't want to go around and say, well, I'm broken or there's something wrong with me. I'm not likable, even though like I'm saying that's not actually what's happening. You know, when I was locked up, the guys in there, they would talk about their experiences, what it was like being in there. And like I said, no one ever mentioned being lonely. They would say things like they had all these burdens or they would say, if I disappeared tomorrow, nobody would care. Or there was a big concern of would these people have friends when they finally got out of prison? You know, or people would just say things like, I feel invisible. Mm. But no one ever said that they felt lonely. And at first I didn't realize it, but they were all describing loneliness. But, you know, and that was a big part of why I think people were avoiding that word loneliness because of the stigma associated with it. But the other interesting thing I noticed was, and you kind of touched on this, how it manifests, right? How loneliness manifests. And... I think that's another part of the reason besides the shame and the stigma that we often don't talk about it is because it doesn't always look like the person sitting alone at a party, right? It can manifest in other ways. I was doing research, like I said, I was in a men's prison and I was like kind of researching loneliness in men. And one of the ways that it often manifested in men was with anger. Someone could be lonely, and it doesn't look like the stereotypical way of being lonely. It can manifest as anger or irritability. You know, it can be just someone withdrawing. So sometimes anger can be playing out in front of us, but we're not even aware that that's what's happening with the person we're seeing. So it's often overlooked. Mm -hmm. It makes sense that, you know, loneliness could come out sideways, especially if someone doesn't want to admit to it. Yeah, one of the things that the guys in prison would often say, you'd hear it a lot. They would say, I'm tired. Like, I'm just so tired. And I didn't get it at first, but they're essentially, I think they were just saying they were lonely. And it was like we were talking about earlier, where feeling lonely creates that stress response in the body. And, mm. you know, the body's on, on alert. It's looking for uh, what might be a potential danger or threat or harm. Um, the body just can't relax because it feels separated from the community, which, you know, in the past mm -hmm. allowed us to feel safe. And if you're feeling like that all the time, of course you're going to feel tired. And that was kind of a big realization for me in there that so many of the men were just saying, I feel tired because we're in prison. We're not doing much. We're just laying around. Mm -hmm. And I was, you know, and I was like, oh, the reason they're feeling so tired is because they're exhausting their nervous system because they're so lonely mm. in there. Mm. That makes a lot of sense, yeah. So, well, you described two experiences that you feel extremely lonely with. 
one was when you were moving, and then one was with your addiction. I'm curious, was there anything helping you move out of that place of loneliness? Yeah, definitely. I moved in the middle of fifth grade, like I mentioned, and that spring semester was definitely the loneliest. Going into sixth grade, I knew I didn't want to feel that lonely again. And I think I had a little bit of a personality change. I think I became a lot more extroverted out of desperation, really, out of desperation for friends. I said, I'm just going to talk to people, even if I'm just making weird jokes or being silly, I am going to try to make some friends. With time and being around the same people and talking to them and and being in classes, like I, I started to feel less alone. But I would say, even though I was less alone, that year was still lonely. The next year was still lonely. The year after that, I started to find people that I really clicked with more. And then finally in high school, I got plugged into the the theater kids there. And I think that is where I found the most community and belonging. Um, so it, it took a long time, but over time, I, I the loneliness did start to fade. It seems like, especially like if, uh, you know, having like a move and coming into a new place, you are not going to have that connection to friends that you had. You're not going to have the larger collective connection. And, you know, it makes sense that in time that would, would build and, and provide you with that sense of connectedness. Yeah, and then the other time when I was um, in addiction, I had a spiritual experience where my addiction was lifted, but that did not solve my loneliness issue. So even though I was no longer drinking, I was still feeling really alone. And in retrospect, I think that's because I was still really disconnected from myself, and therefore it was really hard to connect with other people when I wasn't really connected to myself and didn't have a strong sense of, of who I was. Um, I've ended up finding a 12-step program, which I s- was kind of on the outskirts of for the first year and still felt really lonely. But eventually, one of the people from that program moved into my house and started, because I needed a roommate, and started inviting a bunch of people over. And I started getting more involved. And so not only was I working on myself at the time uh, with the 12-step work and therapy and that kind of thing. But I was also um, making new friends and I was connected to this larger 12-step program. So those were kind of all the check marks for finding community and alleviating loneliness. And I guess the, the other part is my existential loneliness was really alleviated too because I started developing a connection with a higher power and also a higher purpose of helping other people in recovery. And I like what you were saying and it reminds me of my experience in prison. You said this person was inviting a lot of people over to the place you were living and it was kind of this communal experience, right? The collective loneliness began to fade when that happened. So when I went to prison in the beginning, it's, it's an extremely lonely experience. Loneliness is a part of that experience throughout your entire time there. But there's different levels of it. And similar to what you described, uh, when I first got there, 
my immediate family and uh, Lee and my kids were in communication with me. And there was that connection. Obviously, it was strained because I was incarcerated. But that connection with the, you know, the intimate and uh, emotional relationships were there. And then soon after, once my location and address was became available to my friends, that kind of relational and social relationship began to build because my friends were in communication with me. But like I was saying earlier, there's those three dimensions and that third dimension is the collective uh, connection. I was really struggling with this. And at the time, I didn't understand these, these three dimensions of loneliness. But I was struggling and I was feeling really alone. And I always tried to make an effort not to think my friends or my intimate connections with my, my wife or my children or my family should provide more for me, even though I felt like something was missing. And it wasn't until it took a year and a half, but I began to write my blog. And when I wrote my blog, my information was then put out into the larger uh, community. You know, it was on the internet, the public was able to access it. And at that point, people started reading my blog and then started to write me. And then I started getting all these letters from people largely from the folk punk community. At that point, a year and a half into my bid, things really changed in, in a positive way for me because now I felt not only the connection to my wife and my family, not only the connection to my immediate friends, but then the connection to the larger community. It was that third element that was missing for that first year and a half. And it really helped me move through the experience in prison and feel a lot less lonely. And it gave me a sense of connection and purpose that was lacking in that one area. I'm wondering if we could talk a little more about things that can help with loneliness since we're kind of on that topic. Are there other things that you've tried or done before that have helped with loneliness maybe at other times in your life? For me, what I've realized is having a healthy connection with ourselves is the foundation of connecting with other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And when you have a strong connection with yourself and a relationship with yourself, it's easier to be content in solitude. You know, that's that's another important distinction is there is a difference between loneliness and solitude. You can spend, you know, as people go on solo retreats, solo hikes, solo road trips, and may not feel lonely on those um, for whatever reason. And I, I think a big part of that is having that connection with yourself, being able to keep yourself company. Yeah, you know, I've talked to you and on this podcast about it, I spend a lot of time at the swamp, often by myself. I mean, it's a place I've been going to for years. And when I am there, I'm alone often, yet I'd sometimes it's the most connected I feel in my life. You know, mm. So I think there is a big difference between... Uh, being alone with yourself and feeling lonely, right? Because you mm. can have healthy connections in your life yet still spend time alone. You know, that doesn't mean you're mm -hmm. lonely. Totally. Yeah, thinking, kind of circling back to other things that help with loneliness and my own story and journey with that, while finding that recovery program definitely did help, 
I think I started to feel even less lonely when I started creating my own community. And I lived in this house. It was just a cookie cutter house, but we called it the Dude Ranch. And I lived there for five years. And over the course of those five years, lived with a lot of different guys from this program. And uh, there were four bedrooms. And so there were, you know, anywhere from three to four to for a short time, five of us living in the house at once. And having that built-in community, I think really made a difference because we eventually decided to be an intentional community. So we put in structures to help us connect. Like we started doing weekly dinners and then we would invite people from the community to those weekly dinners. We'd also have weekly house check-in which we called tea gather time and we would drink tea and we also just filled the house with music and art and our artist and musician friends and friends from the program and friends not from the recovery program and my musical improv troupe started there my band started there and it just kind of became this hub of community that was really special and really valuable and i think those times are maybe the times in my life where I felt the least lonely, especially up to that point. So that was one really huge thing for me that has kind of showed me what alleviating loneliness looked like. I, I remember I, I broke up with someone that I was dating and I didn't feel lonely because I had this strong community all around me that really helped me feel at one and seen and heard and known and I was kind of amazed how how well I was able to navigate that breakup because of all of the support that I had. Yeah, you mentioned a, a breakup, which is could be some of the most loneliest times for people. But if you mm. do have those built up other areas of connection like you did, it definitely helps you to get through those very difficult times. Also, in my research of finding out how loneliness manifests, I have come across some studies on what actually can help with loneliness. One of the things I've come across is this book called Project Unlonely that just came out this year, Healing Our Crisis of Disconnection by Jeremy Nobel. And he started this organization called the Foundation for Art and Healing. And he talks about the ways that the arts can actually help alleviate loneliness, especially when you're using the arts to connect with other people. And he gives three pieces of advice for people if they're feeling lonely. Be curious, make something, have a conversation. So being curious about your own emotions, the emotions of others, the world around you, make something, be creative, do something that can get you into a flow state. Flow states have shown to alleviate loneliness and then have a conversation, ideally in person, but maybe on Zoom, maybe a phone call. And there have even been studies that talking to strangers can actually help alleviate loneliness. I know that's not always desirable for people, but apparently it can help. Art is creation and expression. And I think a big part of overcoming loneliness is being able to express yourself 
and having other people understand what you're expressing. You know, what you just mentioned, that definitely would help someone through that process. It kind of does remind me of, like I was talking about earlier, my time at the swamp. I'll offer a little more specific of a practice that has helped me there with overcoming loneliness. Uh, As I already said, like the foundation when it comes to connecting with other people is connecting with ourselves. And to have a connection to yourself, you essentially understand your value and worth so you can be yourself in various settings instead of pretending to be you know, someone you're not because you feel you're not enough. When we feel we're not enough, we often want to get something from other people, and that's their approval. Mm-hmm. We begin to act in ways that is not our authentic self. Mm-hmm. I'm always hesitant to use the word authentic. I think it's tossed around a lot. But I do think it's important in this example to have an authentic Mm. connection to ourselves. And what I mean when I say that is when we're going to consider loneliness, I don't think it's simply we just have to consider other people, but we have to also consider our connection to ourselves. A lot of the time the issue begins there and it's not actually on the outside. Uh, if we can't even, you know, share our true selves with others because we don't know what our true selves is, how can we expect others to connect with us and understand who we are? And one of the things that has always helped me look at this is to understand we are human beings who are doing life. If we could be in a good place and more grounded with ourselves, we can do life better. We often don't focus enough on how we feel, on being. If we don't do that, we often focus on the doing. And often that's just doing something to appear a certain way for others to get their acceptance. Mm. So when I'm at the swamp, I spend a lot of time, and this wasn't my intention when I first started going there, but I spend a lot of time understanding how I feel. It was just, it started to happen just sitting there and, and exploring my feelings. And to be connected to others means you feel seen, heard, understood, and valued. And if we don't truly see ourselves or hear ourselves or understand ourselves and value ourselves, we'll walk around constantly expecting that from someone else. And I've done that for a long time. Um, And, you know, that's why we put on an act for other people. And we often know when this is happening, or maybe we know after it happens, because if you have a social interaction and you'll be talking to someone and and maybe you're you know you're nervous in the conversation and you're trying to make them like you and you you think it's going well and you're you're saying certain things to hope to get the reaction you want from them but you might walk away from that feeling emotionally drained and the reason for that is you weren't presenting your authentic self you were putting on uh, an act to get their approval and The thing that's helped me sitting at the swamp over time is this practice of expanding my emotional vocabulary. And what I mean by that is we often just use some very basic emotions to describe how we feel. We might say we're angry, we're anxious, we're happy, you know, we're embarrassed, we're sad. Those are the main descriptions that we use. But you can actually begin to break those down and better understand how you're feeling. So, you know, I remember those times like I did feel angry and I went and sat at the swamp. 
And I just say, oh, I'm angry. But then you could look at that and get a more better understanding of who you are. Maybe you're just a little annoyed. Or maybe you're frustrated. Maybe you're feeling defensive. Maybe you're offended or impatient. You know, maybe you're irritated. Or maybe you're disgusted. And that's a lot more of an understanding of what you're feeling instead of just simply saying, I'm angry. If you can begin to understand how you feel in a more intimate way, you'll be better able to express that to other people so they can better fully connect with you. I think that's totally true. I've had some success being able to get it more in touch with my emotions and that leading to a deeper sense of connection with myself. And it's easier said than done. And it's great that you have a spot where you can do that. I think having a spot like that can be so helpful. And even just being in nature, even if it's not a regular spot, has been shown to help alleviate loneliness. So it's kind of like a two-for-one there in nature and connecting with yourself. I was actually recently, I was at the swamp a couple weeks back. Something had happened, and I guess I felt hurt by it. But I went to the swamp, and I used this practice of saying, okay, well, I'm hurt, but what does it actually mean? And all these different words came to mind when I thought about feeling hurt. You know, was I feeling deprived, uh, betrayed, jealous, uh, victimized, tormented? But I felt abandoned in what had happened. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't using that word until I actually sat down. You know, I was just saying I was hurt. So if I want to explain to somebody else and I go to them and say, hey, I'm feeling hurt, that doesn't really authentically share with them how I feel and how they can offer support in return. The reason this practice works is because it allows you to become more connected to what's actually going on rather than having a shallow surface level relationship with yourself. You know how to have a deep relationship. You're better able to understand your emotions, and you can offer a more authentic expression of them to someone else and allow them to more fully understand your experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the things that's helped me the most with loneliness, I I mentioned the musical improv troupe at the Dude Ranch. Uh, I think improv has a really special way of helping people connect because of the many skills that are required for improvisation also are helpful for connection, you know, because life is improvised. Things like listening and acceptance, saying yes, uh, self-giving, saying yes and, trust, play. There are so many things that improv both requires and teaches that I think if someone is feeling lonely and they want to try out improv, I think it's a really good uh, mode for, for helping with that. Yeah, I know you're very connected to, and I guess you could say active with improv. It's definitely something I want to do an entire episode on with you because I want to learn more about it. And, you know, you're not the only one in my life who has mentioned the value that they found with that, especially like that same way with using it as a way to create connection. Mm, Yeah, totally. Well, I hope that more and more people have these conversations. And if anyone listening to this, if this has helped you feel a little less alone, even just to know that loneliness is a normal human response. So there really doesn't need to be stigma around it, even though there is. 
we're here twice a month. I think folks can come and check us out, right? And and we can mm-hmm. offer that support. I mean, there's a podcast or two that I listen to that I turn to every month just to know I can have that connection to something. Mm-hmm. So I hope folks mm-hmm. can find some of that with us at least. Well, thanks for this conversation, Pepe. Absolutely. Thanks for checking out this episode. We hope you continue to support us as we enter into the new year. And speaking of the new year, some information I know many of you will be happy to hear. I am in the beginning stages of repressing some old Pat the Bunny music. And I've been talking with some members from Ramshackle Glory about repressing Live the Dream on vinyl as a benefit for incarcerated people. Also, I'm going to start really pushing Bandit Coffee Roasters in 2024. I haven't really promoted it or advertised it anywhere outside of this podcast, but I'm going to set up social media and just kind of get the word out there, do some interviews and other places to promote the project. I'm pretty nervous about this. I am not a big social media person, and for a long time, I prefer to be behind the scenes. But I've been trying to make a point to show up and be more open with my story and my life here with the podcast, so I'm getting better at that. But if you drink coffee, you want to have some good coffee that's organic, it's fair trade, you can get it shipped to your door every month if you want to subscribe. You'll get some bonus material like music if you're interested, unreleased tracks occasionally. You can check out banditcoffeeroasters.com. There's a link in the show notes. And this being the last episode for 2023, I'd love to hear from you about what you liked or didn't like or would like more of in the podcast. What was your favorite episodes? What were some of the favorite topics that we discussed? What topics do you wish we discussed? Just send an email to podcast at backonthegrindrecords.com and I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for all your support and helping me feel less alone since I've been released from prison. It really means a lot to me to have all you folks out there and I hope my efforts in return can help you all feel a little less alone and more connected. I send my love to all of you and I hope you stay free until next time.